0: Can any of you remember being back in school and having that unfortunate moment when the teacher called out on you in class? And maybe, heaven forbid, you didn't know the answer to the question they asked. Or worse yet, you don't even know what the question was. You know, maybe that's happened to you. You were sitting in class and you were daydreaming about riding your bike in the nice weather outside or about the basketball game later, or about what you had coming up this weekend, and so you just weren't there in that moment. You weren't paying attention to what was going on. That happened to me once or twice on occasion, probably once or twice a day, that is. But the reality is that that still happens to me. You know, sometimes I'm sitting in my office, and somebody comes in to ask a question, and I'm a million miles off. I'm thinking about the to-do list for my wife, or I'm thinking about uh, something I have to do with friends later, or what's on the agenda, or the grocery list, and I'm just not there, but, but somebody's come in and asked me a question. See, they've come in because they want to make sure that I'm ready for the meeting coming up that evening, or that I know what's going on for worship this weekend, or the teachers, despite what you may believe, when they ask you a question, they're not just trying to to make you look bad. They want to make sure that you're prepared, that you know the material, that you're ready for the test coming up next week or next month. They want to make sure that you understood the concept so that you're ready for the next lesson. Likewise, God wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be ready for what's coming ahead. Now, How many of you out there were Boy Scouts or a parent of a Boy Scout at some point? Put your hands up. Okay, well, I'm going to put you on the spot now. It's it's like you're back in class. So you have to answer this question for me. What is the Boy Scout motto? Always be prepared. Always be prepared. But what does that mean? Well, being prepared doesn't mean that you know what's coming up next. It doesn't mean that you have every answer. Being prepared means you're ready. You're ready for what comes. You're adaptable. You're ready to change and adjust as you need to. It doesn't mean that you have all the answers, but it means that when you get somewhere, you've assessed the surroundings. You've prepared for the unexpected, which almost inevitably comes every time, especially if you're on a camping trip. The, in, the unexpected comes. You see, it means that you're ready to respond to a situation instead of being caught off guard and being forced to react. Now, when you're in a classroom, you may be caught off guard, but you shouldn't be. You should be ready because what teachers do is they ask you questions. We, we expect that to come. It can be a challenge, however, in life to be prepared because we don't know when the accidents are going to happen. We don't know when the diagnosis is going to come in. We can't always know for certain how elections are going to turn out or what businesses downtown or overseas are going to do. But what we can do is is be prepared. We can ready ourselves, prepare our hearts and our minds so that when the unexpected comes, we don't end up flat on our back broken and shattered by the unexpected turns in in our life. Instead, we prepare our hearts, we prepare our minds, we ground ourselves in the faith and the certainty that Jesus Christ is reigning, that he is the king who comes. And so we're ready. We're ready for Jesus to come. We've prepared. See, in today's gospel lesson, Jesus tells us to be ready Because the hour is coming at a time when you do not expect. The end is going to come, and so we need to watch for the signs and be prepared. But does that mean that we need to get our zombie apocalypse emergency kit ready? Does that mean that we need to have our nuclear bunker stocked and ready to go in case the the nuclear apocalypse comes tomorrow? Does it mean we have to barricade our walls, hide behind the fences, and be ready for whatever image of the end times Hollywood has come up with now? No. That's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is take account of your lives and your heart and your days. Uh, Be prepared. Ready yourself. Uh, Take stock. What am I doing with my days? How is my heart? Am I prepared for Jesus to return? Am I ready? for that day to come. Because it's going to come at a time when you do not expect and will be before the judgment throne of God. You see, while judgment day on the whole earth may be millennia away, it may be a long way off, judgment day for you and me is the day we die. And all you have to do is watch the news Or stop by a hospital to know that that day is going to come sooner than you'd like to think. And it may come at an unexpected time. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be on guard, on watch, and and prepare and ready our hearts for that day. The issue we have is that the, the present moment is often... What catches our eyes is what is in front of us. We get distracted and we lose sight of the eternal because the present moment, the, the immediate concerns press into us. They're visceral, they're tangible. The, the bread we need to eat, the, bill, the money we need to pay the bills, the, the illness in front of us, the concerns about how our football team is doing or whatever else it might be are right in front of us. While the eternal things are less tangible They seem far off and distant, hard to hold on to and hard to grasp. And so we push them out of our minds. But then something happens. Tragedy strikes. A shooting in Las Vegas where hundreds are killed. Somebody walks into a church in Texas and kills people. And we're forced to deal with that question. A loved one gets a diagnosis or dies. And we can't ignore the eternal questions anymore. They're pressed into our hearts and into our minds. What happens when we die? How is that person going to be judged? Why would God allow this to happen? Were they worse people than we were? Were they more deserving? Had they done something wrong? Why do these things happen? Those questions are pressed into our hearts and our minds by these kinds of events. I want to take a moment and turn to Luke chapter 13. Because Jesus is asked a very similar question to this. And his response is both poignant, powerful, and appropriate to go with today's lesson. And so I want to read those words to you. Luke chapter 13. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Jesus' point is don't worry about whether or not they were worse or better people than you. Don't try and find some moral reason why this happened to these people or in this city or in this place. Instead, take this as a moment to take stock of your own life. Where are you standing? Repent and turn back to God. Get your life back in line with where God would call you to be. Prepare your hearts. Because you don't know when judgment day is coming for you. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year or in 40 years. But it is going to come at an hour and at a time when you do not expect. And you will stand before the judgment throne of God with nothing hidden. Nothing unknown. Everything revealed. And God's judgment will come down. And so we wonder, what will God say? What will that judgment be over our lives? As Christians, if we stand by faith in Christ, we know the answer. Our sins have been paid for. The debt has been covered by Jesus. We are forgiven and free. But if we stand on anything else, if we place our hope or our trust in anything other than Jesus, then we stand condemned, doomed. That's a hard message to speak. It's a hard message to hear, especially in our culture where the worst thing you can commit is to judge someone else, to speak those kinds of words. I think we're uncomfortable because we're worried about offending others. And because if we're honest, we're all concerned because we have friends, we have family, we have coworkers who right now are placing their trust, they're standing on something other than Jesus. They stand condemned. And we wonder, who are we to judge others? Who are we to, to stand and make this claim? It can seem arrogant to say that we have the only way of salvation, the only way that you can be saved. I think the reason we feel that way is because while we often say the words that we believe in salvation by grace through faith in what Christ has done alone, our lives and our actions say otherwise. We tend to put our faith and our hope in the fact that we show up here every week for worship. That we give to charity or, or hand in canned goods for the, the, the food drive at Christmas. Or we place our trust in the good deeds and the things we try to do on our, in our daily lives. And if functionally we live as if that's what saves us, then who are we to judge anyone else if they're doing the best they can? See, we struggle because we fail to judge ourselves honestly. Honestly. If we judged ourselves honestly, we'd have humility because we all recognize that we fall short of the standard of perfection. We just don't measure up. See, the claim we make as Christians that we are saved by by faith in Christ alone is not the claim that we make. It's the claim that Jesus himself made. We don't say this. Jesus said it. In John 12, he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we're disciples of Jesus, then we take his words. We follow his words. Who are we to change what he has said? If he has said it, then it's what goes. If he has said it, then that's where we place our hope, our life, and our instinct, our claim is on what he has done for us. That's where we stand our ground. See, we as Christians, we don't fear death or judgment day because each and every week we gather here to prepare our hearts and our minds. We gather and we say the words of confession, admitting that we have sinned in thought, in word, and in deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone, that we are not good enough by our own account. But the beautiful thing about the Christian service, about this place, is that it doesn't leave you there. Because immediately afterwards, we hear those beautiful words of hope in absolution, that by the stand and command of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we have hope, that we live and we believe and we stand in what he has done for us. See, as God's people, we stand in the light of what Christ has done. In all the Old Testament prophecies about the end times, we hear these these words that there will be earthquakes and darkness, that the dead will be raised from the tombs, that that's what's going to happen at the end times. And at Jesus' crucifixion, all of that took place. See, for you and me as God's people, judgment day has already come. He took our judgment upon himself on the cross. And so we as God's people, we stand in the shadow of the cross, humbled by our sin and our brokenness, and yet with joy, with peace, with love, with hope, because of what Christ has done for us. We stand forgiven and free, and we share that good news with the world around us not out of arrogance, but out of humility, that that same grace that God has given to us has been given and offered to all. Amen.